Welcome to another episode of Six Questions. I'm your host, Trent England, Executive Director of Save Our States, and glad to be joined by one of my colleagues, a return visitor to Six Questions. Sean Parnell is our Senior Legislative Director. He travels all around the country talking with state legislators and other policymakers about the importance of the Electoral College and the really serious risks the threat of the national popular vote interstate compact campaign. We want to talk this morning about how the recent midterm elections are going to affect that work and our defense of the Electoral College. Sean, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Trent. Yeah. So the first question is just that. What do the midterm election results mean for the fight to defend the Electoral College? Yeah, so a lot of people are really focused on the the national impact of the elections. Who's going to control Congress? Uh, what happens in the Senate and and uh, some of the governors' races as well? Uh, we're primarily interested in state legislatures, and uh, as a result of the uh, elections, what we've had is a couple of states that uh, have basically become potential battlegrounds over this issue for the 2023-24 legislative sessions. Uh, the the national popular votes lobbyists have this uh, track record. Their 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 plan is typically to wait for a state to go from uh, Republican control or split control to unified Democrat control, which they assume means that they uh, have a good chance of getting in there and passing the compact. And so, with uh, Minnesota uh, becoming a unified Democrat uh, state, uh, Michigan as well. It uh, looks like those states and a handful of others are going to have significant battles uh, in the upcoming legislative sessions. So the second question is uh, just drilling down on that. What what are these states? You know, we have viewers and listeners all around the country uh, and, and, you know, they have connections all around the country. So I think it's helpful to let people know what what are the states where we expect there to be battles over the national popular vote interstate compact in state legislatures next year? Yeah, I think that uh, there are six that I'm keeping a very close watch on. Uh, I mentioned both Michigan and Minnesota, which now have uh, Democrat trifectas, where they control the governor's office and both chambers of the legislature. Uh, Maine is another state where uh, national popular vote has been very active in the past, uh, and we were able to work with a lot of Democrats there to stop the compact from going through. Uh, and then there are three states that are, have split control uh, where it's very narrow margins in the legislature, uh, in the case of both Arizona and uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, those are, are two of the three additional states. And then there's Nevada where uh, there's a, uh, a substantial Democratic majority in both chambers of the legislature, and we uh, lost one of our, our Democratic champions, Governor Sisolak, uh, was defeated, and there will be a new incumbent, or it will be a new Republican coming in. We don't know yet where he stands on this issue. Uh, hopefully, you know, he respects the Constitution and, and understands that the Electoral College represents his state's voice in the presidential election process, but we just don't uh, know that yet. Very good. Uh, you mentioned, Sean, that, uh, you know, I think some people view this as a partisan issue coming out of the 2016 election in particular. 
Um, but there, there are a lot of Democrats who oppose national popular vote. Governor Sisolak was one, uh, but there were lots of others. I mean, you know, the state of Virginia was completely controlled by Democrats, refused to pass the national popular vote compact. Same thing with the state of Maine. It's certainly true that we've never seen a, you know, a red state adopt the compact. And we've seen a lot of blowback towards Republican legislators when they've, you know, sort of, uh, you know, drank some of the national popular vote Kool-Aid temporarily. It's it generally uh, generally wears off pretty quickly when they hear from their base. Um, but, but talking about Democrats, why is it that Democrat state legislators oppose the national popular vote compact? Yeah, just like with Republicans, there's a number of different reasons. Uh, I talk with uh, some Democrats and they say things to me like, well, uh, you know, I've read the Federalist Papers. I understand how important the Electoral College is to our nation. And so, of course, I'm going to stand up for that and oppose the National Popular Vote Compact. Uh, I talk with other Democrats who uh, look at it and just say, you know, I I'm maybe not really a big fan of the Electoral College, but this thing is just a a disaster waiting to happen. It is so poorly constructed. The people who put it together don't understand how presidential elections or elections in general actually work. And, uh, you know, they're they're like you and I. We, we've lived through a couple of presidential elections that uh, didn't maybe go very smoothly in a lot of ways. And, and they just don't want to invite that again. And, and they see the National Popular Vote Compact as an unworkable um, you know, effort to to do an end run around the Constitution. Yeah, and, and flipping back the other way, you know, I mentioned that there have been Republicans in the past, at least, who um, have sometimes supported national popular vote. Their campaign loves to to brag about that, play that up. What's the reality there? And, and in particular, I mean, when's the last time that a Republican-controlled legislative chamber? Uh, actually passed the National Popular Vote Compact? And, and how often has that happened? <laughs> uh, so there have been only a couple of instances in uh, Oklahoma in 2014 and uh, Arizona in 2016. It passed one chamber uh, in each state controlled by Republicans. And that was one of those instances where uh, the National Popular Vote lobbyists had been working behind the scenes for a long time. And uh, they kind of had the playing field to themselves because we were off in other states that we saw as, you know, more in need of education and, and defending the Electoral College. And what happened in both of those states is once it passed, uh, the other chamber, uh, you know, I had one legislator describe it to me as the phones melted down with people calling in and, you know, saying we do not understand what you think you're doing and, and you need to kill this thing immediately. And a lot of the uh, Republicans who supported the compact in those states, uh, they've since recanted. Um, and a lot of them, well, I don't, I don't know about a lot of them, but a number of them have lost primaries uh, as a result of their uh, dalliance with national popular vote. Um, the only state where that wasn't really the the impact was probably New York. In, in New York, it was Republican-controlled Senate, Democratic-controlled uh, Assembly. And uh, in that state, they did manage to find enough Republicans to get it through. Um, but aside from that, there is very, very little support uh, among Republicans for the compact. I, I looked at the numbers in the last five years, there have been votes in about 10 states on the National Popular Vote Compact. Uh, and I think the, the 
most recent numbers that I put together had about 500 Republican state legislators who voted on this issue. And I think seven of them voted for the compact. The rest all voted against it. So that's a pretty overwhelming uh, consensus on the Republican side against the compact. And, and as we were talking about, there's an awful lot of Democrats out there as well that look at this compact and, and just aren't sold on it. Yeah. And well, the, you know, the, the, the Democrats national platform doesn't mention uh, this issue at all. Uh, the Republican platform condemns national popular vote specifically. So, I mean, it's really, you have, you have a pretty clear bipartisan opposition to it. And, uh, and oftentimes uh, very, you know, very partisan uh, support for the national popular vote compact. I, I always think that's, that's interesting. I've, I've even seen um, national popular vote lobbyists point to Arkansas um, and try to sort of mislead people because it did pass in, I think it passed in, in each chamber in Arkansas in a different session, right? But uh, but Republicans weren't in control then. So it's it's a similar story in, uh, in North Carolina. It passed in uh, one chamber in both of those states. I think in Arkansas, it passed both uh, in, in just the House, but in two different sessions. And in North Carolina, yeah. it was either the House or the Senate. Uh, but yes, that was in the very early years before we'd even really gotten organized to oppose it. And uh, under Democratic-controlled legislatures in Arkansas and North Carolina, it did uh, pass one chamber. And, and yes, I, I've heard national popular vote lobbyists tout this as an effort to say, look, even red states support the compact. Uh, of, of course, you know, there hasn't really been anything in, in those states in quite a while that national popular vote lobbyists could really brag about. But still, they, they try and boost their credibility and, and bipartisan claims by pointing to what are today very red states uh, when they were, you know, kind of split blue Democrat legislatures that passed them more than a decade ago. Talking with Sean Parnell, he is the Senior Legislative Director at Save Our States. Sean, question number five, what are some of the technical flaws of the National Popular Vote Compact? Yeah, and uh, I'll try and be very concise because I can go on for hours on this topic, but I will just say that it what it really gets down to is that in, in most cases, there simply is no official national popular vote count. Uh, the compact tries to cobble one together from a variety of sources, primarily each state's certificate of ascertainment, but there are other ways, you know, sources that they try and get popular vote totals for and pretend that they've, they've got, you know, an official vote count. Um, you know, some of the problems with that include the fact that, you know, not all states complete their vote counting in time for the compact to be included in 2012. The, the document that would have been used if national popular vote was in effect, uh, the document from California, I'm sorry, from New York, I was missing about 415,000 votes. Um, you know, there, there's some quirks in the way that states run their elections and report their results and design their ballots that, you know, more or less work out okay as long as votes are just relevant to the state that they're cast in, but under national popular vote, we try and aggregate them, uh, you have some very serious issues. For example, I, I just ran across the fact that California in 2016, because of a kind of weird ballot design uh, issue, wound up effectively giving Trump voters two votes for 
two different presidential slates. And because of the way the compact is written, uh, those extra votes, about 4.9 million additional votes for Trump would have been included in the national vote counts, allowing him to win the national popular vote under the compact, which, you know, people are going to have different opinions on the desirability of that, maybe. But it's clearly not what the advocates for national popular vote have been promising us that, you know, every vote equal and, and uh, you know, it's easy to count up the votes from across state lines and arrive at a conclusive winner. Uh, that's clearly not the case when you look at a situation like California. And then there's ranked choice voting, which is a problem because the compact uh, is basically built to accept a single vote total for, for every candidate from all 50 states plus DC. But under the comp, or I'm sorry, under ranked choice voting, there are at least two different vote counts. There's the initial vote count and there's the final vote count. Those numbers can differ by tens or even hundreds of thousands of votes in a single state. And you wind up essentially giving the elected uh, election officials in compact states the ability to choose which vote totals they want, and they can pick and choose and manipulate the outcome to favor the candidate that they want to win. Yeah, I think the, the California example is is fascinating to me because I suspect, and, and as you said, we've, we've really just come across this strange anomaly in the way California designed their presidential ballots in 2020. I suspect that advocates for the National Popular Vote Compact will say, well, sure, you know, California technically uh, double reported the votes, uh, all of the votes for Donald Trump in California, which Trump got a huge number of votes in California in 2020. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, they'll say, well, but, you know, these secretary of, of states in other states, they would just sort of use their discretion and ignore those, you know, the second set of, of vote tallies for Trump or cut it in half or whatever, which is is such an admission. It, you know, th I mean, they have to take that position because otherwise, as you say, I mean, it, it destroys the whole idea of the compact uh, of creating this actual, you know, directly Democratic election for president. But as soon as they as soon as they say secretaries of state in in each individual compact state are going to be exercising their discretion using their judgment then they admit that that uh you know the the kind of uh the kind of manipulation uh or or games or just confusion that comes from pretending you have a na nationwide popular vote when you don't really have that uh is i mean it's just it's just endless uh, i i don't know I, i'm fascinated by that uh by that issue in particular. And, you know, folks who want to dig into that further, Sean has written about uh, all of these topics at saveourstates.com. You can find more about this and, uh, you know, read it, share it, uh, help people understand this national popular vote compact, even for people who don't like the Electoral College, uh, is a disaster. Right. We, we work with plenty of legislators who when they realize the, you know, the 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 way that this compact uh, tries to concoct all this together, sort of a you know chewing gum and duct tape uh, direct election system. Uh, they're just they're horrified and they oppose it, um, even if even if they you know disagree with us about the importance of the electoral college. Uh, so, Sean, thanks thanks for that. 
Uh, last question. We've had you on before, so I'm not, not going to ask you about your favorite founding father, but I, I do want to ask you about distrust in elections. We see a lot of that rhetoric, even after the midterms. Uh, we see it from both sides. Uh, people raising questions about whether you can really trust our elections, whether people, you know, whether it's even worthwhile participating. Uh, that is, uh, I mean, that's a real tragedy uh, and, a, and a threat to the the whole democratic process. Uh, that makes us a republic. Uh, Sean, what can state legislators do to increase trust uh, in election processes? Yeah, I, I think that the the number one thing that can be done, and you know, you and I both work in this area, and we've seen every proposal under the sun. You know, we, we could probably list off of our head twenty different reforms that have been uh, proposed. Uh, and some of them, you know, might be good, some might be bad, some just require further investigation. But I think that because of the the level of distrust, um, I think the number one thing that state legislators should keep in mind when they're looking at, you know, how do we make our election system perform better? Uh, and it happened we get the public to trust more what we're doing is to really be uh focused and narrow in terms of the proposals that you do. So no more, you know, gargantuan, you know, election reform omnibus bills that have 17 different things that they try and do. Uh, and, and more importantly, I would say just focus on that handful of things where there is genuine consensus on what needs to be done. The, the one thing that comes to mind is the idea of pre-processing absentee and vote by mail ballots so that all of the votes can be counted on election day. And that seems to be really the one thing I can think of where there's a very strong consensus uh, on, on both those of us on the right who you know work in this space and those of us on the left and those of us in the center who work on election reform. That's sort of the universal thing uh, that just about everybody supports. There are probably some others as well, and it's going to vary from state to state in terms of which policies have this sort of consensus. But what I would say is that rather than you know looking at a you know very narrow majority that one party might uh, might have in the legislature and thinking, aha, now we can ram through what we want to do and the other side hates, you know. That's not really a great, great way to build confidence and trust in the system. You know, look for those handful of areas where there's genuine consensus and just do those things so that we can restore some confidence and trust in our election process. Yeah. And I think, I mean, if, if I can jump in with my two cents, you know, the, the, the whole question of pre-processing absentee ballots, which is something that uh, some states who suddenly had a lot more voting by mail during COVID um, really, I think, you know, made some mistakes uh, because they didn't want to tabulate the ballots before election day, which is which they shouldn't do, right. uh, in my opinion. Definitely. But they didn't understand that they could they could process those things and then count them on election day and speed up the process. And they ended up delaying their election results, and I think I think that that's what what I hear from voters. As you said, right, left, middle, everywhere is why can't we just get election results on election night? And I, you know, the uh, uh, the, the the media on this is so terrible because 
at least at least what I was watching on election night, um, you've got all of these journalists who are who are sort of lecturing. Uh, the public that, well, you have to understand it takes a long time to get election results. And I, I kept seeing people on social media, just, you know, ordinary people with common sense saying, well, it, it didn't take a long time, you know, 10 years ago. Right. So right. clearly the, this, the idea that we have to allow our elections to regress uh, is not convincing the public. So, yeah, it'd be well, great to see state legislators build consensus. I mean, right, left, center, everybody uh, yeah. build consensus around. Let's just let's just try to get the results quickly. I mean, that that certainly builds a lot of confidence or, or you know, the, the opposite uh, leads to the opposite result where people are sitting there, you know, asking questions and. I hate it when, you know, people like us who are wonky can 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 explain, well, this is why, you know, the early voting totals favor the Democrats and the election day totals favor the Republicans. And then the, after the fact, they maybe go up and down. And I mean, they're oftentimes uh, are really good explanations to make all that make sense. But when you're explaining, you're losing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in this case, when you're explaining, you're the, losing confidence. Yeah, I think the, the one thing that uh, we should be pointing to uh, on, on this particular topic and maybe some others as well is look, Florida is the third most populous state in the country. They had their all of their election results by what, 11 p.m. Eastern yeah. time or something like that. It can be done. Uh, you know, I, I've talked with some people in Florida about what they did. And it was basically after the 2000 debacle, they decided, well, we're going to fix this. And it took them a while. There was no omnibus you know yeah. election reform bill in 2001 or 2002 it was incremental changes and you know they'd fix a couple of things and then discover new problems and fix those two and it it took a while but it, my recollection is that in 2016 also florida was you know had everything wrapped up by election night and uh it, it can be done uh there's just some you know very antiquated processes out there and frankly, some antiquated thinking uh, about what, uh, you know, how elections should be run. Uh, but I think that if Florida uh, has shown us anything, it's that, yes, if a state makes a concerted effort to do so, of course, you can have all of the ballots counted by election night. But there are, you know, people out there that want to preserve the ability of, you know, vote by mail to be counted if it comes in two weeks after the election. And, you know, those sorts of things can cause some pretty serious problems. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are still, there are still some states uh, trying to uh, figure out the results of, of some of their elections, yeah. even, you know, we're recording this more than a week after, after election day. So uh, yeah, that's uh, th those states can do better. Sean Parnell, senior legislative director at Save Our States. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Six Questions. Oh, thank you for having me on again. Thanks to all of you for watching, for listening. Remember to, uh, wherever you found this podcast, give us a great review, share it on social media, and uh, join our fight to defend the Electoral College. We're going to have some big fights, I think, in 2023 and 2024. We're already seeing the other side talking about how, you know, maybe they can get the, the, uh, the uh, National Popular Vote Compact in place before the 2024 election. We're not going to let them do that, but we need your help. So go to SaveOurStates.com or find us on Facebook or on Twitter uh, and connect with us. 
And let us know that the, one of the most important things that you can do now that we have a new crop of state legislators is ask them their position on this issue. Let them know that there's this, this thing called the National Popular Vote Compact. They're trying to uh, hijack the Electoral College to manipulate it. Let them know you don't support it, but also ask them, what's your position? And the, the absolute best thing you can do to help what we're doing at Save Our States, when you find out what your state legislator's position is on this, let us know. Reach out to us through SaveOurStates.com. That is tremendously helpful in the work that Sean is doing. Uh, he talks to uh, dozens of state legislators every week, and uh, he travels around the country, uh, as, as do a number of us. Uh, and when we get some advanced information about where state legislators stand, uh, that, that just puts us so much further down the road toward preserving our constitutional republic, preserving our system of states by preserving the Electoral College. So thank you for everything you do. We have a lot of just tremendous activists who partner with us every day at Save Our States. We're thankful for you. And until next time, I'm Trent England for Save Our States.